Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got day three of Senior Bowl practice to recap, and we've got a game to preview on Saturday. I want to kind of structure this podcast in sort of a past present and future where we're going to start things off with draft buzz where Ben Fennell is going to drop by the show and he has been through all of the film from the first two days of practice. He watched the broadcast on TV of the third practice. We're going to focus in on his five takeaways after watching film from the first two days of practice. That'll be the past. Then we're going to get to the present in draft mailbag where Chris McPherson and I, we're going to answer some questions from you at home, but also share some takeaways from being on the field at the indoor facility over uh, in Mobile, Alabama. We're going to break it all down. The things that we saw and answer some of your questions at home in our draft mailbag before we transition to the future with pick six where Dane Brugler and I are going to go through six matchups that he is excited to watch for Saturday's senior bowl game we have the national team taking on the American team what six individual matchups are is Dane most excited to see we'll get into that at the end of the show before we get started as always make sure you go on to your Apple podcast page Really appreciate everybody that takes the time to go on, leave a rating, leave a review. If you've got a question, we will answer it here on an upcoming episode. You can leave us a mock draft. You can leave us player rankings to break down. Whatever it is, we will knock it out here in an upcoming episode. As always, we are going to be breaking down uh, two episodes a week from now up through the NFL draft. We've got the combine in a couple weeks. We will be daily from Indianapolis. So make sure you are subscribed to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. That said, uh, let's get things started. Talk through some big takeaways from Ben Fennell in Draft now it's time for draft buzz all right excited to start things off with draft buzz as i welcome in our friend ben fennel who is watching uh all the action from the the comfy confines uh of new jersey ben uh welcome (laughs) back to the show it's good to be here, Fran, and I'm nice and dry and warm here at NFL Films <laughs> as I'm uh, in the Senior Bowl coverage with a side eye on our Combine coverage, which is just a short three, four weeks away. So uh, got to get after that. But it's been real, real fun uh, watching the tape back each practice. And uh, it was nice that the boys were inside today with the uh, inclement weather. I hope you stayed dry. We tried to, and it was a ton of rain once again. It was thankfully a little bit less than yesterday, uh, and obviously being inside that helped. But uh, I am interested to kind of get your thought. We haven't really had a chance to talk too much over the course of the week, so I'm excited to get your thoughts on what you saw the first two days on tape and then what you saw from the broadcast. We're, we're recording this right after practice ended, uh, so I'm excited to kind of get your thoughts. We're just going to do this in five big takeaways from you over the course of the week. Let's get number one from you. Well, I love watching the trenches at an event like this, the O-line, the D-line. Obviously, the edge rushers have gotten a lot of attention this week, but I thought the defensive tackles really shined in a class that wasn't expecting to have a whole lot of juice as far as three tags and some nose tackles. I thought they showed off a lot today, or excuse me, this week in practice, you know, whether it's Perry and Winfrey, Devontae Wyatt, uh, Travis Jones, even the big kid from UCLA who's 330, 340. Fran, once you start getting these guys in the one-on-one pass rush, when there's no run reads, there's no two-gapping, you could just hit your upfield surge. There's some guys like the UCLA kid, I'm blanking on his name, Otito. Otito Obonia. I got news for you. He doesn't have a pass rush move. Right. But when he can get into a track stance and just go, he's he's 340 pounds of grown man coming at you. You just don't anchor. You just hold on for dear life. Travis Jones, I thought, showed the same thing, a little bit better hand placement and some more pass rush maneuvering. But these guys are big, strong, twitched up. Perry and Winfrey, you can watch his Oklahoma tape. He jumps off the ball, like literally jumps off the ball into offensive linemen. And it was great to see him show that off this week and start to get a little more national attention, which certainly calling my bluff because I thought he who's going to be one of the hugest risers throughout college football season. Oklahoma Sooners maybe didn't have the season we expected, but Perry and Winfrey in a vacuum himself, really, really impressive player, friend. And I'm glad that we did. We did spend a lot of time talking about Winfrey and that Oklahoma front. Uh, we've seen uh, him make a number of plays. We, we talked about him a lot on yesterday's show with what he did uh, in the rain on Wednesday. It's just the tempo center. And that's the thing. I don't know how much of that was able to come through uh, just watching the film, but uh, if I'm sure I know you watch the broadcast as well. I don't know how often they talked about it, but Winfrey uh, really kind of set the tone, set the temperature uh, of that practice on Wednesday, which uh, that will mean a lot 
for him as well. Uh, and Obonia, I mean, you talked about it. His, he just uh, almost like go with the alliteration. Otito Obonia overwhelms people. Like he just absolutely <laughs> uh, just dismantles people with with his length. I and mean, he's got almost like 36 long, 36 inch long arms. And when he gets full extension, you're not dropping your anchor against that. He has been really, really impressive. Uh, what is your second takeaway? I'm going to actually go to the other side here and just talk about the offensive line. Because collectively, Fran, I didn't think the tackles had a great week. I thought they really struggled early. We saw some big guys go down hard. You know, big tree fall hard. We saw Kennard get trucked. Abe Lucas get trucked. You know, Dalen Falele get trucked. I thought Bernard Raymond struggled a little bit early on. Trevor Penning struggled a little bit early on the edges. Maybe so much a detriment to them as much as I'd like to praise the edge rushers, which there were some beasts out there. There were some guys that were long, nasty, twitched up, all different shapes and sizes. But to bring it full circle, I thought day three, the O-line stepped back up. I think they had a collective kumbaya and said, no, no, no. They're finishing on us. They're getting the last shove. Let's come out and perform today. I thought Trevor Penning really set the tone with his chippiness and just his propensity to want to finish and really kind of come back out on top. I thought the tackles collectively had a better day today. Some guys I thought just struggled this week. Max Mitchell, Braxton Jones, Burford was up and down. The guards, I thought, played really well. And some that maybe didn't get the same attention that they should have, like Zion Johnson, obviously, is one of the darlings of the week. I thought Cade Mays had a great week. I thought Ed Ingram played really well. Lasita Smith had a really solid week of practice. Guys that maybe aren't creating the buzz in the headlines, like a Zion Johnson or a Cole Strange or even like a Dylan Parnum. Some of the guards I thought played much better collectively than the tackle group, but the offensive line day three, I thought they got the win today. Unfortunately, the edge rushers, the defensive linemen, I thought had two pretty convincing wins on day one and day two, both teams. You know, another offensive lineman who, as I've been like just watching through the film and then even kind of taking notice of him today, he had a good win in one of those uh, kind of isolated compete one-on-one reps in front of the entire team. Uh, Luke Fortner, the center from Kentucky, I think has been really sure. solid. Uh, you know, he looks really comfortable in his set. Uh, Jamari Sawyer uh, as well. I want to give some love to him. I think that he's been really good throughout the course of the week. Those two guys on the interior, Sawyer, uh, who has been the left tackle for Georgia the last couple of years. He's gotten the majority of his reps at right guard. He's even taken some center reps, but uh, Sawyer has looked really good. And Fortner from Kentucky, who I actually, he was one of the like two guys coming into this week that I had not studied. He's been really, really good. He really caught my eye this week. He's a competitive kid. He's played a couple spots in the offensive line. He's never at a position. He doesn't get himself in trouble. He's going to need you to hit a really nice move on him to win. He's a guy that's usually taking very clean sets. He's competitive. He's not going to give up on the down. Rarely puts himself in a bad spot. He's a good player for him. All right, take us through your third takeaway. My third takeaway, separation still reigns supreme. And that's what the receiver position is all about, especially these events and one-on-ones. Who can separate? And my two biggers, big winners of the week, I think Calvin Austin has been turning some heads. He's 175 pounds. He's on Memphis's track team. You give him any room to operate, Fran, it's over. You got to get your hands on him. You got to bump him. You got to grab him. You got to, you know, kind of be on his back at the catch point. But if you give him space, he will make you look dumb. So he's a guy I think can take on a profile of a Travis Benjamin for a, a team and really be a vertical threat and a double move guy and a guy that can win down the field. The other guy, separation reigns supreme. Khalil Shakur, friend, is one of the best route runners down there. Whether he was getting the ball or maybe getting the ball a little inaccurate, this guy was separating and had a full release package, had some really creative moves at the top, really competitive at the catch point. He's not a big guy, but I thought he was one of the better route runners of the week, a three-level receiver out of Boise, a guy that they had their own quarterback issues at in Boise. They said, come to the backfield, we'll hand it off to you. He had 50-plus rushing attempts in his college career, three-level receiver, and that he can win all over the field in a variety of ways. I thought quietly he had one of the better weeks down there, and you just cannot forget the name of the game with receivers, catch the ball and separate. Do not forget, separate, separate, separate. I'm glad you brought up Shakir today, especially really, really productive day in the red zone. Uh, had a number of touchdowns, whether it was from Desmond Ritter or Kenny Pickett. I thought Pickett was really good today. And he and Shakir uh, hooked up a number of times uh, in this Thursday session. Uh, what's your fourth takeaway? Well, I love a lot of these hybrid defenders. I thought there were some guys playing some new positions, maybe a Sterling Weatherford down in the box a little more. 
you know, Jojo DeMond was playing some will linebacker and, you know, down in the box as well. Troy Anderson, variety of kind of uh, duties as well. These guys are all really good size. They're good athletes. They're special team stalwarts. I'm just wondering where we're going to play them at the next level. Where do you pull the trigger as far as draft capital and some of these guys? I don't think they have a true positional fit. I don't know if someone's going to pull the trigger around two, three, but you'd be crazy to let them fall to round six, seven kind of thing. So I thought Sterling Weatherford at Miami, Ohio, Troy Anderson, Montana State, Jojo DeMond, the older prospect out of Nebraska. I thought they're all collectively my hybrid group, really good players. I thought they had strong weeks showing off a lot of different skill sets and roles. Not really sure where to pull the trigger on them, but I know, Fran, I want all three of them on my team. Another guy uh, it almost kind of fit that just a little bit different is uh, Jalen Petrie, a player I know you're really high on. He, he's been playing a lot of corner this week and playing a lot in the slot, like true slot corner, uh, often in wide receiver DB one-on-one. So I know you've seen him uh, on tape in those drills, um, but it's been really fun to kind of see his usage. And it, also, he I mean, he came in, there was kind of talk, is he a safety or a linebacker? He came in small for a safety. So I think now it's like, is he a safety or is he a nickel? And some people I feel like, uh, especially after what he's done this week, you might look at him and say like, this guy could be a nice nickel corner. Yeah. You know, there's two safeties. I had the little stars next to Kirby Joseph his ridiculous length. I thought he played down in the box a little bit more, some really nice plays and coverage, but Jalen Petrie, he's 5'10, 196. He plays so much bigger. And he's a guy that I didn't know who I wanted to compare him to. Is he a Kenny Moore, that kind of thick nickel Teron Johnson out there in Buffalo? really tough nickel as well. I think he can easily come right in and be that type of um, sub package player and really, you know, sub his base these days. So he's the guy that's not never going to come off the field, but it was great to see him in some of those zones on the outside at cornerback. I think he's a guy that can play cover two corner. I don't see any reason why not. I don't probably want him turning and running and, you know, having to make too many plays down the field. But if he's a cover two team, a zone team, I don't see why not. He could have played that and play a variety of roles for a, a number of defenses. Yeah, one of those uh, hybrid guys that has really stood out uh, this week. All right, takeaway number five, how are you going to shut us down here? Well, you know, the tight end group I thought was interesting this week. And I kind of want to know your perspective being down there. Before I run off my notes, tight end group in general, how would you feel about him this week, Fran? I thought they were solid, you know, and we knew coming in that this was a really good group. But I think to me, when I look at this tight end class in general, but also here at the senior bowl, obviously, I mean, there's like eight or nine guys that you would kind of classify uh, as being in that tight end bucket. To me, I don't look at any of them and say like, oh man, like this guy is going to be a star at the position in the NFL. I think you're just seeing like rock solid players across the board. And as you get not just here to this game, but then you get to the shrine bowl, you get to the NFL PA game, you start to say like, man, like, there's a bunch of those guys, and it just it feels like that the depth of the tight end class is really the, the the strength of it. I don't know that it's super super top heavy, but I think you look at it across the board and say like, yeah, like all these guys have chipped in. Jeremy Ruckert, what was the big the big knock, the big question? All oh, like uh, great blocker, with high volume or low volume in the pass game. So what can he offer as a as a pass catcher? I thought he had a number of really impressive grabs at all three levels of the field uh, this week. Now you you look at Trey McBride. He wins the Mackey Award as the top tight end in the country. He came in really small. I mean, he came in 6'3", sub 250, right? So a lot smaller than we were expecting. Uh, but I think overall, I mean, he's you've seen him do a lot of the things we saw him do at Colorado State. He made a nice catch down the seam on Wednesday. You've seen him compete as a blocker, one-on-one uh, -on -one against defensive ends at times. So I think, again, you just look across the board. The Jake Ferguson's the world. Colt Turner had a nice diving catch down the seam today. Uh, the, these guys have all had their moments in the sun. Well, not really the sun because of the, because of the weather this week, but they've all had their moment to shine. And, and all of them, uh, I think you look at the, at the end of the day, you say, these guys are going to be just solid players in the NFL, which is a good thing. Yeah, you know, I just felt a little underwhelmed with that tight end group and kind of projecting forward. I don't know if we're going to be that excited about them when it comes down to draft day. I don't see any, you know, eye-popping testers. You know, I don't think we have any Kyle Pitts or even Mike Gesicki's of the world or even, you know, David and Joku's, Evan Ingram's, the way they tested I don't know if we're going to have any type of four, four players and jumping 40 inches in this tight end group. Trey McBride makes a lot of great contested catches at the complete expense of separation. He's a bit of a, a Velcro player out there. He's always sticky to a defender, making really competitive plays on the ball. But the big test this week was athleticism, speed, separation, left a little bit to be desired. Same thing with Isaiah, Isaiah Likely. A guy that makes some really good adjustments on the ball, tracks really well, really good athleticism and agility. Didn't see the route running and the separation I had hoped to see. The Jeremy Ruckert showed you a little bit more of that. 
it was a little bit more of a, I'm just glad we're seeing it and we're excited to see it because you didn't see him, you know, stretch the seam or run some corner routes at Ohio State very often. So it was great to see that. Quietly, I think one of the big winners, Fran, is like Greg Dolchich out of UCLA, who I think is going to be one of the better move tight ends in this class. And if he goes to the right offensive scheme, right offensive coordinator, somebody that likes to feature that move tight end and yak opportunities and be a red zone threat and work over the middle of the field, I thought he was a stud out there. And I thought he's got a good enough size. I'm always worried about those former receivers. You know, he shows up to UCLA at 210. Is he going to kind of squeeze into a 225 frame? No, he's up to 240, 245, really well built. So I just don't know the collective state of the tight end group, but I like him overall. So I know we're kind of bashing him here. There's a lot of NFL players on this tight yes. end board, senior bowl, not senior bowl. There's a lot of these guys going to play in the league. Are we going to have any taken in the top 50? I'm not so sure. But there's going to be a lot on day two, early day three. And a lot of these guys are going to be on Sundays. Same kind of thing. Where do you pull the trigger with draft capital? Where do you think you can maybe roll the dice and get a Kate Otten around later, a Jake Ferguson around later? Where do you play that cat and mouse? The tight end group is really deep, really fun, not particularly top heavy. And it's not going to be that exciting in the combine and the tester. So make sure you watch the film and find the good football players. I'm still shaking off the the reasoning as to why Kate Otten is not here in Mobile. As, as, as to me, one of the best tight ends uh, in the country. That said, um, I no, believe it, he was dealing with a, an injury late in the season, if okay, I'm not mistaken. Right. I, I, I hadn't heard what, what was up. That. So I, I would assume that that would be the case as to why he's not here. I can't remember if it was on Journey or a tweet of Jim Nagy's, but he had mentioned that Cade, I believe, was dealing with an ankle injury either okay. late into the season or from the bowl game. Uh, but was slated to, uh, to accept his invite despite that injury. Uh, so I'll have to double check that, but don't, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure he had, he was dealing with something. Well, I am glad that you highlighted Craig Dulcich. I do feel like he might have the highest upside of the guys here because, as you mentioned, he's got uh, that athleticism, that ability to be a dynamic playmaker at the position, but also was used plenty in line. Is he a dominant player right now in line? No, but he's a very willing blocker. Uh, you know, we, we always throw that term around. You got to lose slow, uh, or you got lose. Don't have to lose slow, but at least lose slow. And I feel like Dulcich can be that for you early in his career, while also being that uh, you know high level pass catcher as well. And do you feel like, Fran, really deep edge group, a lot of quarterback uh, hunters and quarterback killers out there, did we kind of close the gap a little bit with the three that weren't down there in Thibodeau, Carl Aftis, Hutchinson? Did what, you know, Jermaine hmm. Johnson kind of squeeze the gap there? Kingsley Maybe. and Abare work yeah, his way into question. the first round? I thought there were some really, really impressive players out there. Some guys that we've talked about all season long. Make sure you're following Journey to the Draft as we're getting you prepped on these guys in the summer. So it's just great to see the collective national media kind of watching these guys now and seeing what they can do. But I felt like there's a, this might be 10 edge rushers in my top 50 when it's all said and done. So a really deep group. And I think they're closing closing the gap on some of those uh, early leaders out there in uh, Hutchinson, Carl Aptis, and Thibodeau. That's a, a fair question. I think that that's something that we could uh, get a sense of as these mock drafts after the senior ball start happening. We'll see what happens uh, here on the game <laughs> on Saturday. And you know I love seeing Sam Williams show up. Fran, he yep. got off the plane and just – Tore through offensive linemen on day two. He is a really fun, infectious player, high energy, plays really hard. He's strong. He's one of those guys that's just sprinting back to the huddle every play. Hmm. He does that at Ole Miss. There was a game I think I was watching in December. They were getting their butts kicked in the fourth quarter. He was hustling to the ball, sprinting back to the huddle. I didn't really know what he was doing, but he's just that one of those guys that just everything is 100 miles per hour. He's a really, really fun player. I'm glad he showed up to Mobile. We all know he's got some boxes to check off the field with his background and some past stuff. If that all clears, he's a top 50 player. Make sure you watch Sam Williams. Yeah, something to watch here as we get into the game on Saturday. We're going to continue talking about that game uh, in a couple segments here with Dane Brugler. But first, we've got our draft mailbag. C-Mac and I are going to recap some of the things we saw down on the field uh, here for Thursday's practice from just outside Hancock-Whitney Stadium. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so from what we've seen over the last few days with Ben Fennell to what we saw here today with Chris McPherson for our Draft Mailbag segment, C-Mac, uh, practice moved indoors due to inclement weather on Thursday. It was a uh, torrential downpour on Wednesday. A little bit less rain on Thursday, but it, it was coming down uh, for a good portion uh, of that second practice, especially. Uh, that said, let's get into some of our, our standouts. And I want to ask you, 
What one player stood out most to you between the two practice sessions on Thursday? Ooh, okay. So first who comes to mind, uh, I'm going to go from the first practice of the day, the Northern team practice coached by the Jets. I'm going to go Boise State wide receiver Khalil Shakir. Uh, I'm looking through my notes here. Red zone seven on seven. Um, had a, was part of a back-to-back touchdown pairing with uh, along with Trey McBride on throws from Kenny Pickett. Uh, but then from Desmond Ritter was in there, Shakir took a heck of a hit on a ball over the middle of the field, took quite a pop, uh, but was able to hold on for the touchdown, came back for a couple other scores later on in the session. So uh, time and time again, Khalil Shakir uh, offensively was standing out to me. Defensively, let's see, a uh, couple come to mind here. I know you're talking about, talking about one, but I'm just like trying to like scroll through the notes to see who might have possibly, uh, I don't want to leave anyone out here. I think Eric Johnson. I was impressed with his versatility, playing nice. both tackle and end. Um, was doing well in the, let's see, there was a run period where he just created a wall and the running back just went right into the back. It was like a thump went into the back of the O-lineman. Uh, later on the very next play, he shed a block to get it, get in on the tackle. Uh, later on, a team red zone period, uh, he got in the backfield, forced the running back to cut away from the action. So throughout the practice, uh, Eric Johnson, was someone who was standing out to me. And then uh, uh, one more I want to throw in here, okay. O-line, D-line, one-on-one. I know typically the defensive guys usually win this. I want to give a tip of the cap to Darian Kennard, who had wins over Eric Johnson, who I mentioned who was very good in practice, yep. Kingsley and Ibarre, who I thought was outstanding the rest of practice. He's another one who could be one, – he's one of the, the top standouts for the entire week. Had another solid practice today, but had a win against him. And against Fedarian Mathis as well. So I had three wins – Noted for Darian Kennard, no losses in the O-line, D-line, one-on-ones from the notes I took. That is good to hear because I thought he had a really good first day, uh, up and down second day in the rain. And I thought uh, that's good to hear that he had a a good bounce back here for day three. I'm excited to go back through the film. I didn't watch much of the trenches uh, today. I focused more uh, on the receivers and DBs for this third practice. But uh, for me, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to go Memphis wide receiver Calvin Austin, uh, who I've talked about a number of times uh, here this week. But I think he was really consistent again today. It was a lot of red zone work uh, and typically that's what Thursday uh, usually is reserved for if you even if you look at, at a normal game week uh, you know late in the week you start talking about red zone and I think that uh, Calvin Austin you know, what's he, 5'7", 170 pounds? Like, you're not typically talking about him as a red zone threat, but where those small receivers come in play in the red zone is their ability to create separation in a phone booth, and Austin does that as well as anybody in Mobile. Uh, I thought that he did a great job of just putting his foot in the ground and separating. He did it a number of times where he kind of juked DBs out of their shoes, and once again, just super, super consistent at the catch point. First time I saw him put a ball on the ground this week, uh, it was a diving catch where he kind of had to slide uh, in the end zone, and the ball was able to hit the ground, but he has caught everything else. Uh, So I think when you're talking about an explosive guy, uh, certainly has that ability to work vertically, but then also, you know, catch and run, screen game, gadget plays, all that kind of stuff. You can do all of that consistency, route running. I think Calvin Austin has really put together a nice week. And then uh, on the other side of the football, uh, Darian Kendrick, uh, DK Kendrick uh, from Georgia, I thought that he had his best day of the week. I think that when you look at some of the plays he's given up in some one-on-ones, it hasn't been the the best week for Kendrick, but I thought he bounced back this week or today here for this session, got a couple balls on the ground, was there to contest a number of throws. So Darian Kendrick from Georgia, I wanted to give some love to. Uh, Let's now transition to the one play that stood out most to us. Uh, our one play takeaway from practice, C-Mac, uh, I'll go to you first. Uh, I, I guess I already spoiled mine um, going on the touchdown grab by Shakir over the middle nice. in that uh, red zone drill where, again, he, he just got popped, but he went down, held on to the ball, and came back up for the score. So uh, sorry to spoil it. Uh, yeah. Talk about player standouts there, but kind of that was one of the reasons he – He stood out to me, so I'll give him the nod there. The safety who gave that pop was Kirby Joseph from Illinois, who a lot of people feel uh, might be the best safety in attendance here at the Senior Bowl, but uh, he also had a diving interception on a tip pass in a team drill as well. Uh, I believe he was 
Ooh, he was, I believe, first or second team all Big Ten this year, Kirby Joseph. He had five picks, uh, really came on this year as a senior. I know Dane really, really high on Kirby Joseph from Illinois. Uh, he had that big thump uh, on Shakir, and then he had that diving interception. So he had a couple splash plays uh, here in this practice. Yeah, I would go Jalen back. Petre, I would say Jalen Petre was the one who got the ball in the air, the one yes. where Joseph came down on, on the dive. Good call. Uh, the throw from, um, from and Petre, we talked about in the last segment with Ben, uh, he has flashed over the course of the week. Uh, let's get to, to my one play. It was This was actually very early on. Uh, uh, in the American team practice. So in the second team practice, uh, Deuce Daly, the head coach for the Lions, he's done a good, a great job this week of creating not just your typical one-on-one drills, but uh, at random points of practice early on, sometimes in the middle, and certainly at the end of practice, uh, has created some uh, spotlight one-on-one sessions, uh, those compete drills where everybody in the building is looking at these two players going one-on-one. Uh, and he had one of them right after team stretch. Danny Gray, the wide receiver from SMU, going up against the Texas A&M safety, Leon O'Neal, uh, in a one-on-one period. It was a deep ball down the right sideline. It was like a 50-yard uh, throw. Danny Gray pulls this in over the shoulder. And the reason why this is big, Gray has done a nice job of separating, especially in the vertical part of the field this week. He's just had a a handful of drops. He's put the ball on the ground a little too often. I thought today, much like Darian Kendrick, what I said about him from Georgia, I think Danny Gray had his best day uh, here on Thursday. I thought he rarely put the ball on the ground. He had a couple of nice catches, but that big one uh, for the big play down the field, it would have gone for a touchdown. Uh, O'Neal actually came in late and punched the ball out just as uh, Gray had gotten into the end zone. The referees called it a touchdown down but uh gray with that big catch over the shoulder i thought that was the one play uh that stood out most to me uh that said uh we have to talk about cmac one of our favorite moments i think from the week and that's the the qb competition that deuce daly uh put on display for everybody at the end of the american team practice uh take us through uh, what we saw on the field as practice came to its end so you talk about these high leverage competitive situations and at the very end of practice, everyone's gathering in midfield and, and you're kind of wondering what exactly is, is a, about to transpire. But do say everyone's kind of closing in because they roll out the net, uh, the target net for the quarterbacks to to throw into. But first, before that, the guys, the, the rest of the players had to kind of pick who they thought they were going to was going to win the drill. So guys were kind of rallying around their guy and. Malik Wells, I think you would agree, had the biggest contingent of believers. Um, but we're going through the first set of drills here. Bailey Zappi, I think he got one of them in the net, if I'm yep. correct. Yep, they he were ten yards. It was ten. They were ten yards away from the net, and it's the it's got like three targets working uh, from the bottom left corner up to the top right. Uh, Zappi was able to get one, I believe, on his third and final throw. I think you're correct. Sam Howell. Not able to get any. He went second. And then Malik Willis, you know, it was funny because since he had the biggest contingent, you know, Malik's looking over to the crowd, trying to like, you know, silence him down, keep him contained. Uh, but he had a couple that that went into the net, but just didn't go into the target and fell to the ground. So Bailey Zappi, uh, you know, the group of guys who cheered for him all lifted him up and they were victorious and celebrate. But that wasn't the end here. It was a, a second part of this, Fran. There was. And so what they did next was uh, they had all the quarterbacks at the 20 yard line and they put a trash can in the back left corner of the end zone and they each had three throws hit the bucket. It was basically what you say, hit the bucket. Uh, and you know, you, you get one for, uh, you know, you get a point for the good guys. Um, first Bailey Zappi went up, he went over three, Sam Howell went up, he went over three Malik Malik Willis hit the bucket twice, nearly put it in twice. If he had put it in, I feel like the building would have exploded because the it guys the were like right on the edge there. Uh, but he had hit the rim twice. Um, uh, so that was enough. Uh, his guys got the win there. So everybody that did not pick Malik Willis, they all had to do, uh, up downs there at the end of practice, but a really, just a, uh, a really fun competitive environment, uh, that Deuce Staley and the Lions had put on display. It was a really cool way to kind of put a ribbon on the week of practice. It's funny because the guys are so animated at practice that Deuce, you know, longtime Eagles coach, we're used to him barking at practice and, you know, getting the juices flowing over uh, during training camp, especially those dog days of summer, you know, talking trash to the defensive side of the ball. He didn't have to do that this week. He had guys who were ready to lay it up on both sides. And no matter whether it was the weather uh, that affected the practice conditions on Wednesday, today the practice was you know, in, in it's not even really an indoor facility because there's really there's no sides. It's really just a, a permanent right. tent over the field. And there was sheets of rain going through. And there were times where the wind was coming, whipping through. And you were kind of like, OK, this is why they moved the practice uh, to this indoor facility today. But now a spirited competitive practice once again. Uh, 
you know, led by Deuce Daly, who is running things for uh, the American team as the, the Lions uh, coach this week. All right, so we've got a couple questions here to uh, take us home in this segment. Paul Sledge uh, checked in on Twitter. Where do you see Wyoming linebacker Chad Muma going, and can he be a three-down linebacker in the NFL? Uh, Paul, I think right now it seems like Muma is right in that round two range of most mock drafts. Uh, we'll see if that's where he ends up going. I do think that he's got that skill set to be a three-down linebacker. He was the starting Mike uh, for the national team throughout the week of practice. He was the guy calling the defense, getting everybody lined up. Uh, he's got athleticism. He's a former safety in high school, made the move to linebacker at Wyoming. Uh, and you see that range, you see that explosiveness. He's got sideline to sideline ability, but he's also a really smart, tough physical player, a reliable tackler. Uh, he could play in the box, but also, like I said, has that range to make plays sideline to sideline. So I don't think that he's a guy that you're going to have to take off the field uh, at any point uh, when you look at him moving forward. So uh, where does that place him? Look, I, I think you could see shades of, from the same conference. You could see, see shades of Leighton Vander Esch when you watch Chad Chad Muma. This is uh, Vander Esch when he was at Boise State. And he he goes to the, the big thing is that Vander Esch didn't have the senior ball. He goes to the combine. He comes in bigger than expected and tests better than expected. So we'll see uh, what Muma does. If Muma comes in and tests really, really well at the combine, we'll see if that kind of affects how people view him. Um, but right now, like if you told me, like, oh, yeah, he's going to be an early second round pick, uh, that sounds right right to me uh, when you're talking about when he could go off the board. So uh, good question. Uh, C-Mac, I don't know if Muma has flashed to you at all uh, over the course of the week, but uh, he's a player that I do think uh, has one of the probably higher ceilings of anybody here in Mobile. Yeah, I, I would say the first day of practice on Tuesday, he definitely flashed, taking command as the Mike linebacker, the defense, calling things out, uh, showing read and reactability, being able to be in the right place, willing to, uh, you know, you know, lead the guys and be able to get guys situated in the right place. But Definitely looked like he had the plenty of athleticism out there. Uh, as I'm going through my notes from today, they were doing a red zone drill, running backs against tight ends, and all the linebackers had stand-up plays. Troy Anderson from Montana State, throwing Weatherford from Miami, Ohio. Chad Muma had, had a nice play in there as well where uh, the, the running back wasn't able to, to shake him in coverage. So uh, overall, I thought Muma had a good week and did what he had to do. And like you said, he's going to look to build upon the combine if he could test well there. Um, certainly a guy with three down ability, athleticism. It's ideal for uh, today's NFL. One more question here from Twitter. Irish Eagles left a question saying, how high do you think Jermaine Johnson could go, the pass rusher from Florida State, buoyed by his senior bowl performance? And I, I would say real quick first, you got to remember that Jermaine Johnson was in first round mock drafts already coming into the week. And so this won't be one of those cases where it's all like uh, the senior ball really boosted him into the first round. I think a lot of people had Jermaine Johnson in that middle of round one discussion, maybe the late round one. Now, now I think uh, to, to get to the question, I think now you might see and Ben brought this up in the last segment at the end. Do we start to see him kind of close that gap and go high teens? You know, do we see him even get closer to the top 10? I think that's the question you have uh, with Johnson. And I think the game sometimes can help with that, right? It's like, all right, like if Dwayne Johnson goes and after having a, a really good week of practice, then he goes and he has three sacks in the game. Like, all right, like th that really kind of opens people's eyes and say like, okay, like, yeah, he put the exclamation point uh, on the week. But uh, Jermaine Johnson certainly had himself uh, a really good set of practices. You can see all the traits are there. He can win inside and outside. He's got that quickness. Uh, he's got length. There, there's a lot to like with Jermaine Johnson. It reminds me of uh, the last time we were at the Senior Bowl was the Javon Kinlaw uh, mm -hmm. debate where he had the pedigree. You figured he was in the first round conversation, but you were looking, would he have a dominant week to kind of lock things up and really elevate his status? And he ended up going uh, early teen, 13th or 14th, I believe, to the Niners Yep. Uh, when all was said and done um, after a great week, a dominant week in Mobile. So I don't know exactly where Jermaine Johnson will go, obviously, but the fact of the matter is he's got production. He was already on people's radars. He's, he helped his stock this week. He did what he had to do coming here and being a dominant defensive lineman. Uh, he and Enikbare during those practices, just uh, so, something to watch there. So lot, lots of, lots of uh, pass rush ability coming out of Mobile this week.
No doubt. Oh, let's get to a question from Apple Podcasts. Where CMart923 uh, leaves a question saying, Hi, Fran, it's been a while since I've left a question, but now that it's fully draft season for the Eagles, I'm hoping to start leaving some more. My question is regarding wide receiver Drake London. This is the wide receiver from USC, CMAC. For your perspective, how concerning is it that he is known so much more for his contested catch ability? While being able to make contested catches is obviously an extremely important trait for an NFL wide receiver. Are the highlight catches from London overshadowing the fact that he is not creating enough separation and therefore is always in those contested situations Mm. or is it more of a QB accuracy issue? I know that at his listed height of six foot five, that he's bigger than these guys. But the reason I asked the question is due to recent picks like a Josh Doxson out of TCU, Laquan Treadwell from Ole Miss, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, uh, Hakeem Butler, the, all those guys known for similar traits in college. It also seems as though the league is starting to trend away from the power forward wide receivers towards more route runners and speed guys, while successful bigger wide receivers are few and far between. Of the top 25 receivers in terms of receiving yards this year only five Mike Williams T Higgins Michael Pittman Mike Evans and DK Metcalf are listed over six foot two with only Williams and Higgins in the top 15 I'm curious because I know a number of draft analysts had London as their top wide receiver before his injury despite the fact that all the other receivers in the first round conversation seem to fit the mold of good route runners with speed that create lots of separation thanks as always for the draft coverage all year round Chris so Chris number one great thoughtful question ton of information in there and i i do agree i agree with the the question being brought up right and i think that you can have that with a guy like drake london i think the the one caveat that i would bring to the the question in terms of you know his ability to separate and you start to get into that you have to remember coming from that offense a little bit of a limited route tree, right? So uh, he's obviously a bigger guy. He's six foot five. He's not going to get in and out of breaks as well as a guy who is six foot one, six foot two, even, you know, and obviously beneath that, right? So I think when you're looking at, yeah, there, is there going to be a little bit of clunkiness? Of course. But I think the fact also that number one, uh, you got a little bit of a limited route tree playing in that true air raid system. But then number two, this was his first year on the outside. He was a slot receiver through and through. He was a big-bodied slot receiver that they just kind of leaked down the seam time and time again as a freshman and sophomore. He caught a bunch of touchdowns, was productive uh, on the inside. He only moved to the outside because uh, they had some guys that moved on to the NFL, right? Amon Ross St. Brown graduated. A couple other guys uh, moved on to the league last year. So that opened the door for Drake London to slip outside. I do think it's going to be interesting. And when you mention some of these names, right, like you look at those, those five receivers that were in the top 25, you know, Mike Williams, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, DK Metcalf. Mike Evans, he ran low four fours at, you know, six three and change, you know, 200 plus. I mean, he was an alien. DK Metcalf, we know what he did uh, at the combine, right? He's an alien. Michael Pittman ran the low four fours. T. Higgins, uh, he didn't run at the combine, went at the pro day, and it was, uh, it was I think, like low four fives, and that was a little bit surprising. And then Mike Williams, he ran, uh, he only ran at his pro day, and that was a little bit slower, right? So I think that Williams is kind of the case study here in that. He ended up going in the top 10 despite being a bigger receiver who didn't run super well. We'll see if that happens with London. As you mentioned, there are a lot of draft analysts, some of the best in the business. You go to Daniel Jeremiah. You know, I know that Dane Brew was really, really high on him. Uh, Nate Tice, we've had on the show a couple of times. Uh, I believe he's his number one wide receiver, right? So a lot of people really, really high on Drake London. Uh, I think you can ask those questions. I think it's a good debate. He is a, he is a true one of those guys that you could call a ball winner on the perimeter. Those guys certainly have uh, certainly have value in the NFL. It's uh, it's going to be a good question. I think a lot of people are going to have C-Mac, and especially uh, if he's not able to test the the injury that he was alluded to. I believe it's a, a broken ankle uh, for uh, for Drake London. So we'll see if he's able to go. He, I think that he suffered the injury like late October, early November. So we'll see if he's able to go uh, here in the first week of March for the combine. But. Uh, it's going to be an interesting debate there, uh, and one that we've had a number of times uh, over these last couple of drafts. Sure, I, I think it's it comes down to the skills and the other abilities that they bring to the table. Like you know, watching Christian Watson this week, uh, true true six foot four. Okay, was listed or six, did he come in at six three or six four when all was said and done? It was six. He, he was came six, in at three. six six three even. Six three even. Okay, so six so solid six three, but he he's got. Good movement skills. Okay, he's got a good route running ability. You know, he's he's long, he's linear. Uh, he can get out, in and out of his breaks pretty quickly. So um, it, it depends on the total package. It, it's tough when you have these case studies of guys that have not, you know, made it. You look at a Drake London and say, well, he's probably going to fall into that bucket. But you have to look at everything that he brings to the table. So there's so much more than just the size uh, component there. So, but it, it's, what's interesting though, Fran is. 
you know, we're going to get back from Mobile in the next day or so. Uh, obviously, you're going to be flipping on tape and, you know, starting to look at the underclassmen who declared, you know, start looking toward the combine uh, at the end of this month, early next month in March. Who, who are some of these juniors who you're uh-huh. looking forward to uh, to scouting? Putting the tape I, on? I always have like a guy that I'm most excited to watch, like the first day back from the senior bowl, because obviously a lot of my time and effort goes into watching those seniors leading up to the senior bowl. A bunch of these juniors I've, I've watched already, like over the summer, sometimes in the fall. Um, I will say the one guy I'm excited to do a deep dive on right now. I've done, I've seen flashes, obviously watching peripherally. I've seen plenty of Georgia this year, but I'm excited to get eyes on Trayvon Walker, uh, the defensive lineman from the Bulldogs. Uh, have not done that deep dive on him yet. I know they're, you know, Dane, super, super high on him. Has a, I believe he's a top 15 player uh, on his board. Uh, Trayvon Walker, I'm excited to watch. And then also the Georgia safety, uh, Lewis Seen. I'm excited to see him as well. He's really flashed whenever watching Georgia. Uh, obviously a huge hitter, a guy that can run the alley really, really well. Excited to see what he can bring uh, to an NFL defense. So I would say those two guys uh, from the Georgia defense, I would say they're probably first on the docket there, Sumac. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah. I guess we'll uh, we'll kind of shut this down. The, the, I guess the, the big thing, I mean, this is our last podcast we're recording from Mobile for you, just uh, kind of walking away from the week. Like, how are you going to remember this senior bowl? What's your what's your final takeaway uh, as we Ooh, uh, head home to Philadelphia? Jeez. Oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, let's see. From I'll go non-football first. The experience on a Wednesday uh, of watching the practices in the driving range. Yeah, that that will then, be memorable. Yes, and, and joking with the uh, the scouts who who were in the suite. Like you know, you guys couldn't have uh, hooked us up. Uh, we we debated texting and uh, you know asking for for a spot, but uh, nonetheless, though, no great great atmosphere. Um, I'm trying to think the the uh, the amount the the amount of defensive linemen strong, strong throughout the course of the week, a lot of depth there, a lot of, a lot of different guys who stood out throughout the course of the week. Uh, exciting to see. I mean, to me, like, I think a big thing too is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about these quarterbacks. I do think at the end of the day, like two or three of the guys we saw this week could end up in the first round. And so if you have like a a senior bowl where three quarterbacks were first round picks, that, 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 that's notable. Right. And so um, I do think that that will be a a big uh, thing to remember by, and you mentioned the, uh, the rain Wednesday, maybe by next year's senior bowl, by uh, pants, which are still hanging up in the bathroom, maybe they will be dry by that point. Uh, That uh, is a hope that I have. Was there, I'm trying to think was there a a small, it seems like the last couple of years, there's been like a small school guy who like really, Last year it was Quinn, last year it was Quinn Miners. Miners, and he was—I mean, he was like the the hot player. Uh, like and when we did like the the daily recaps with Dane, like oh who stood out? He was the, he was a guy that was like yeah, I got to talk about Quinn Miners again. I got to talk about Quinn Miners again. I don't know that we had a small school guy this week yeah. that was like uh, that player. I mean, Cole Strange, you know, guy, certainly got some love. I don't know that there was one guy that like, oh, yeah, like he really uh, turned himself from a uh, a late round pick into uh, a second rounder. Uh, maybe maybe it'll end up being strange. But uh, no, I don't know that we've had that this year. No, that's probably that's probably the one one thing I would say. So, um, yeah, but overall, look, uh, a lot of talent, like you mentioned, a lot of the top quarterbacks here here in Mobile. So uh, it's going to be fun to see how these guys what the conversation, what the narrative becomes in the next couple of weeks uh, leading into the combine. And then now you're adding those underclassmen to the mix. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun build up here to uh, Indianapolis. No, it absolutely will. And it's something we're going to uh, keep talking about. Obviously, we have the game uh, here. It's Thursday night as we're recording this. The game is going to be on Saturday afternoon. And we're going to break this game down. We've got uh, six big matchups to watch here in our very next segment. Pick six with Dane Brugler. Now it's time for pick six. All right, time to put a ribbon on the week of practice as I welcome in Dane Brugler for pick six. And Dane, uh, third practice, Thursday practice out in the rain, as we've already touched on. But with you, I want to kind of spin this forward to Saturday's game and help kind of preview what we're going to see. What are six matchups uh, when you look at the American versus the national squads uh, that we're excited to watch? And I'll let you kick things off. What's the uh, the first one uh, that you want to kind of focus on here? Well, I wanted to start with uh, probably or arguably the best player down here, Jermaine Johnson, uh, going up against Trevor Penning uh, in the game. But uh, Jermaine Johnson wasn't out there for that third practice. We don't know if he's going to be in the game. So that's something to watch for. Uh, But instead, let's talk about Kingsley and Igbari versus Trevor Penning. I think that's going to be an outstanding matchup. Uh, Hopefully we get it uh, within Igbari. We've talked about him before. He's heavy handed. He knows how to win with his hands. Uh, Not the most 
uh, bendy, not the most uh, super sudden player, but he's a guy that uh, understands how to use his strength. So you use his length to his advantage. And for Penning, he's a guy that has given up his chest this week during practice yep. and guys that have been able to get into him uh, can drive him backwards. And he's just been a little late, a little uh, passive. And that's just not what you want to see from him. So for Trevor Penning, this is a big chance for him to find some redemption during the game and slow down a really talented pass rusher like Enigbari. Yeah, Enigbari, I would think that would be the, the prime matchup for us to be able to see if Jermaine Johnson can't go. Just a couple of other edge rushers uh, for that squad that you keep an eye on there. Sam Williams, Ben mentioned him earlier in the show. Uh, that would be a one that potentially you'll, you might see that matchup. Amari Barno from Virginia Tech. And then D'Angelo Malone uh, as well. Uh, keep an eye on him from Western Kentucky. Uh, Enigbari, I mean, like the day one coming off the bus was one of the most impressive guys uh, back on Tuesday. Uh, I want to say like kind of leveled out a little bit, but uh, we know what he can do. He's been one of the best pass rushers in the SEC. It could be a, a really good matchup in, in terms of uh, strength versus strength. And you talk about a guy that can win with power versus Penning, who uh, when technique is right, which as you mentioned, that, that has been a little bit of an issue, but when technique is right, really, really strong and has that ability to be a stopper. So I, I'm excited for uh, that potential matchup. What's the second one for you? Uh, well, let's stick with the, the edge rushers versus tackles uh, and just flip it. And let's go with uh, MyJ Sanders versus Max Mitchell. Uh, MyJ Sanders from Cincinnati, the uh, a, a first step, probably the best first step uh, among the pass rushers here. Uh, he's a guy that can convert his speed to power. Uh, he has the cornering skills where he, he's going to really test you wide and show off your range. And for Max Mitchell, it's been a little up and down. I, I really like yep. Mitchell as a day two tackle. Um, and this is going to be a, a big test for him to show, to show what he can do against the, the speed, the range uh, of uh, my Jay Sanders and just the different ways he can beat you. I, I was surprised you didn't go Dominique Robinson, your guy from uh, Miami, Ohio there. Yeah. Well, and, and there's honestly uh, a couple of these pass rushers, you know, with Enigbar, with um, uh, Ebiketti and uh, yep. you know, there, there's just so many of these defensive linemen that we could talk about. Uh, but I did go with Sanders because I think that, you know, he showed up, I think a little bit heavier than we, because th during the season, he played about two, two thirty, two thirty five. showed up over two forty this week. Yep. And I thought he, he, he carried it pretty well. And so, uh, I'm just kind of eager to see him now in a game setting to see what he looks like, uh, with that, just a little bit heavier weight and see how he does. All right. Let's get to uh matchup number three. Stick on the defensive line. Let's go with, uh, Devontae Wyatt versus Zion Johnson, uh, two, two guys that are really trying to get into that first round mix uh, with Wyatt, uh, you know, a, a player that didn't really get a chance to let loose in that Georgia defense and that scheme, but give him a chance in these one-on-ones. And all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, blowing by uh, blockers. He's uh, shooting gaps. He's showing off that quickness, that athleticism. And during a game when he's going to pr probably play more of a traditional three technique role uh, during the game, that's going to be fun to watch him go up against a guy like Zion Johnson, who is one of the best blockers that, that we have in this draft class. He's competing to be the first guard uh, off off the board in April and uh, a guy that uh, we saw a little bit at center, but hopefully I, you know, we, we play more guard during the game. I think it's just more natural fit, but uh, two guys we talked about before two guys that are really talented. And I think that's going to be a fun matchup. I do wonder if we will see him more at guard or at center. Uh, Johnson, once again, uh, at the at, as practice ended for the national team, he stayed out there, this time with Desmond Ritter, uh, just going through QB center exchange once again. So uh, he's definitely trying to get as many reps at center as possible. We'll see if he ends up uh, doing that on Saturday uh, in the game. And as you mentioned with Wyatt, uh, his quickness has been really impressive uh, really throughout the week of practice, his ability to get off the ball, which, as you mentioned, was not always what he was asked to do in the structure of that Georgia defense. Uh, What's matchup number four? Let's go to uh, more of the skill positions. And okay. Isaiah Likely, uh, you know, he just – he moves like a wide receiver out there. And I want to see him against one of the most athletic linebackers in this draft, and that's Troy Anderson from Montana State. Hmm. Uh, we're talking about speed versus speed here. And we're going to see Isaiah Likely uh, probably run some seam routes and probably, you know, just try to get him out in space, let him use that speed. And Troy Anderson is a guy that has been able to show off his range this week, and he has not looked out of place uh, with these uh, big-time athletes out there. So I'm eager to see how likely and Anderson match up. Uh, two really good athletes who, uh, if they're you know, uh, going up against each other, I think that could be a fun, fun matchup to watch. 
likely caught a touchdown right in front of me in the red zone. Nice little corner route, diving uh, to the ground. I was able to come up with it. I thought one of his better plays uh, of the week. So uh, that'll be, that should be a good matchup. And Anderson, we've talked about, he, he has really flashed uh, really every practice uh, with his athleticism, his ability to play through contact. Uh, he's been playing at strong side linebacker with the first team. And then he's been the backup Mike linebacker setting the defense with the second unit uh, there for that national team. So a fun matchup there, uh, potentially in space. Let's go to uh, number five. Let's go to receiver corner and let's go with probably the guy that's uh, been the best wide receiver down here. And that's Jalen Tolbert. Mm. Uh, and I want to see him versus Kobe Bryant, who I, I think has really impressed me with his physicality. Uh, you talk about a, a corner who is always ball searching. Uh, that, that's something that he will he will give up a, a, a catch, but he will rip it out. He'll, he'll be able to you know, it doesn't give up just because the receiver gets his hands on the football. And I thought we saw that consistently this week. Uh, Brian's not, I don't think he's going to necessarily impress in like the 40 yard dash. Yep. Like that, that's not necessarily his strength, but Jalen Tolbert and Tolbert's not, I, I wouldn't classify him as a speedster either, but he's so good at mixing his gears. And so he gets corners off balance, uh, kind of lulls them to sleep a little bit. And that, that's how he's able to kind of manipulate coverage. And so I'm really eager to see these two guys. Uh, Tolbert, one of the top uh, receivers in this entire draft, trying to be, uh, you know, get his name in that top 50 mix. Uh, going up against Kobe Bryant, who uh, is just a really physical corner, love the ball awareness, love the ball skills. Uh, Jim Thorpe award from this past year. So that should be a fun one. Kobe Ryan has had flashes throughout the course of the week. I posted a couple on Twitter with his uh, route recognition, his ability to kind of uh, stay in the hip pocket of wide receivers. And Tolbert, uh, even today, uh, Dan, in red zone action, had a couple of really nice plays on the perimeter going up and over defenders, uh, coming down with the football. So kind of showing off that vertical ability, uh, which we know he has. Uh, let's get to the uh, the final one, matchup number six. Well, let's let's keep it simple, and it's it's Malik Willis versus the national defense. Uh, you know, there's the national defense as the the quick twitch pass rushers, the guys like MyJ Sanders and Dominique Robinson, those guys, uh, pretty good in coverage as well. And so, I just I want to see how Malik Willis holds up in in, in this type of game setting where it's it's gonna be more of a chance for him to show off his legs, more of a chance for him to push the ball downfield. Uh, and, and of course, we're gonna be watching all these quarterbacks. Uh, it's gonna be really important to see. Uh, you know, who impresses last year, we saw Kellen Mond that I believe he was MVP of the game with how he performed in, in the senior bowl. And uh, I thought Kellen Mond helped himself because of that. This is a chance for one of these quarterbacks, put an exclamation point uh, mm -hmm. on their week of practice. And I think Malik Willis, uh, you know, has got a real opportunity here. So I'm, I'm eager to see him versus that national squad. Yeah, both guys. I mean, especially when you look at how they finished the week today, I think if you look at Malik Willis, you look at Kenny Pickett, both guys for different reasons have a little bit of gamer to them. Uh, I'm excited. Once the it gets a little bit more real, you've got contact. Uh, how do how does Willis do? How does Pickett do? You throw Desmond Ritter in there. You could throw mm -hmm. uh, Carson Strong in. Obviously, all these guys just are a really good stage for all of these quarterbacks. But I think kind of spotlighting Malik Willis there uh, makes a lot of sense. Certainly a guy that's got a lot of buzz uh, with the way that he has performed this week, whether it was uh, in clean conditions or in adverse conditions like we saw uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, no doubt. And I don't know that maybe we got the clarity we were hoping for from this quarterback class this week. Uh, I can tell you, we, we absolutely as a media contingent did not because like, right, especially right. coming out of Wednesday after the rain, it was like, you could see headlines and tweets and this isn't against even like the people that put those out, but it's like, it just kind of paints the picture of how everybody's got opinions. Malik Willis, the winner of Wednesday, he threw great in the rain. Carson Strong, <laughs> right. the winner of Wednesday. Sam Howell, the winner. Desmond Ritter, dude, did great in the rain. Everybody had different thoughts on how all these guys did. Right, exactly. And so it, that, that pretty much sums up this quarterback class as a whole. Uh, it's just there's not going to be a consensus. There's not going to be, uh, you know, a, a clear guy. And, and so maybe that, that'll change in the game. Uh, maybe there will be a, a quarterback who clearly steps up and, uh, but it's been it's been a really productive week trying to figure these quarterbacks out and hopefully uh, the game just gives us maybe a little more clarity. Yeah, it'll definitely be a, another step in the process for all these guys as they get ready for the combine in just a couple of weeks. Well, Dane, uh, great stuff this week, as always, from Mobile, Alabama. We'll be back uh, early next week to uh, recap what we see on Saturday and really kind of put a ribbon on everything from down here in Mobile, Alabama.